0: Welcome to the Preachered Podcast. We are talking about the resurrection of our Lord in this episode. Um, we are combining both texts appointed for Easter Sunday, both Easter Dawn and Easter Day, as we begin this new series called Resurrection Reality. Um, the reason for the combination episode is this. I don't know what the custom is in every place, but many pastors, I think, preach on one or the other text on Easter Sunday, or use one or the other sets of readings, either Easter dawn or Easter day. Some have a sunrise service and a festival service, and preach a sermon at each, and if that's you, we'll give you some food for thought, one text for each of those uh, lectionary uh, sets. Or if you preach on one or the other, you can focus on that text in our discussion, and it may be helpful to think about the other text and readings as well. Uh, anyway, that's the plan for this episode. We'll kind of talk about two different uh, texts, uh, but both for Easter Sunday. Before we go any farther, we should welcome our preachers for this series. We welcome back, they've been with us before, Pastor Ben Tomczak, who serves Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Pastor John Bergamon, serving Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Downers Grove, Illinois. And I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. So Ben and John, good to be with you once again. Uh, John, let's start with Easter Dawn. Could you comment briefly on the service theme for Easter Dawn in this worship series?
1: Yes, uh, our overall theme is resurrection reality. The resurrection is real and that impacts us each day in different ways. On Easter Dawn, we're really looking at the fact that the resurrection means that our faith is not futile. Um, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile. There's been many movements in world history where someone tried to do something. He got some followers, but then he died or he was killed in battle. And that's what had happened to Jesus. Then he's noble. He's heroic. He was a nice guy. But boy, he's not the savior that I need, nor the disciples, nor Mary Magdalene, nor the rest of the world. My faith is futile. I'm trapped in sin but he really has risen from the dead. We see that on Easter dawn, our faith is not futile because it is placed in our risen Savior.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, We're going to be focusing on the gospel for this Easter dawn portion of the episode. Uh, But before we do that, uh, Ben, could you remind us of what the first reading and second reading are for this Easter dawn?
2: Absolutely. I just want to say first, it's so great to have the band back together again it is yeah Surrounded by all these great johns and so we talk about john's gospel um john talked about the the uh, no futility this 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 is not a waste of time to have easter and and all of our lessons set us up for that all of scripture of course does but but in isaiah we get a portion of 25 where the lord says he's swallowing up death he's going to you know just cover it up destroy it crush it and everything and as you often have to do with the prophets it's it's good to step back a chapter or two and and you see at the beginning of chapter 24, the Lord was saying just some explosive things. The Lord's going to lay waste the earth. He's going to break it up. The world's going to reel like a drunkard. And, and you can imagine some people feeling that way on the first Good Friday, Holy Saturday. Um, he talked about the guilt of rebellion is going to be all just weighing people down, uh, and they'll never be able to rise again. By the time he gets to chapter 25, the city is a heap of rubble, the fortify. By town ruin the foreigner stronghold a city no more that's crazy because we focus on six to nine which are just a feast and resurrection but that's where god has set it and the prophet is seeing all of this and you think of daniel's visions of empires rising and falling um and the, in in the middle of all that isaiah says you've done a marvelous thing and it's been planned long ago and then he starts shifting to this feast um and again you can imagine um, whether it's Israel in Isaiah's time or Jesus' friends and disciples, they're just hanging on by their fingertips. They're just clinging, clutching, clawing because, well, Christ is dead. Um, and then all of a sudden, God says, I'm this very mountain. And, and the mountain we're talking about is, you know, the mount where the temple was, Jerusalem, where Abraham had sacrificed his son. Now it's the mountain where God has died. It's God's promised place, a holy place, Um and it seems like everything is laid waste because God is in a tomb. The earth itself shook. The temple curtain split. The world went dark. But God's setting a feast, which is just contrary to everything we would do in such a moment. Um, and it wasn't what was happening in those homes. Um, they were behind locked doors. Maybe they were pushing food around their plates a little bit, um, picking at it. Mary Magdalene certainly wasn't feeling good. Um, a banquet would seem to be a mockery. Um But God is getting out his best. He's doing all the best things because he's already done this. And now they're about to see that he actually has swallowed up death forever. He's kept the promise that Isaiah made 700 years before, right before Israel fell apart. Um, And and then those who shelter in him can say the beautiful words. And they had to have been singing these words on Easter Sunday. Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. and, and those were the words that maybe by the end of Easter, Mary, Peter, and John were saying, We trust in him, we trust in him, we trust in him. And then he got St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter, e- explaining that this is it. This is what we're trusting in God for, that there is a resurrection of the dead. Christ is risen. That's the one most important message of all scripture. And now he turns to some Christians and says, How can you say the opposite? Especially because in John's gospel, we hear it said that it was necessary for Christ to rise from the dead. And we know that this is just as live an issue today as it was then. This issue of whether the Bible speaks the truth or it's full of lies. Um, and we're faced with the same kind of destructive world. I, Isaiah saw everything seems to be falling apart politically, uh, health wise, um, theologically, morally. And Paul just keeps hammering at the resurrection. And he's got inexorable logic in this verse. If there's no resurrection, then what are we preaching at all? Why is there even a church? Your faith is useless. If, if there's no resurrection, what kind of preachers are we? We're just lying money grabbers, uh, showing you a futile faith. Um, if there is no resurrection, of course, Christ hasn't risen. If there's no resurrection, what about all your loved ones? You're just to be pitied more than, more than all other people. In other words, Paul's saying the resurrection is a big deal. It is huge. It is so huge that we can't make anything bigger. Um, it, it's either this or it's nothing. And then we get to John and see it's true.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I love verse 20 there in First in Corinthians 15, just that total reversal. Uh, but Christ has been raised from the dead. And so <clears throat> everything is different, absolutely everything. Uh, well, let's go then to John 20. Uh, and the Gospel for Easter Dawn. Um, John, could I turn it over to you? Just some thoughts on uh, reflections on this text and things that might be useful for preachers as they think about preaching uh, this Gospel for Easter Dawn.
1: Yes. So obviously John is writing this after Matthew, Mark, Luke have given their descriptions of it. We read in the Gospels elsewhere, Luke, for instance, mentions... Uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women, etc. But John here now, he has the the freedom to kind of hone in on some other details that the other gospel writers maybe don't capture, or just to focus a little bit more on one of those who is at the tomb, and that of course is going to be Mary Magdalene. Just a note, if you get confused about the chronology of who is coming to the tomb when and where. You're not alone. Bible scholars have been trying to piece this together just with the gospels for a long time, but just a good reference uh, for our preachers. If you wanna think about that more uh, Werner Franzman's famous Bible history commentary on the New Testament, volume two. He has a really nice job walking through all of the gospel accounts and trying to help piece them together chrono- uh, chronologically in our minds. So that's a good reference. But looking at this account, then from John, John's Greek, of course, is usually very straightforward and his ideas are very profound. But his simple Greek, and it just jumps off the page as he tells the narrative of this true story. It's so neat. He's just so excited almost to tell this. In the first verse, we get why this is probably used for our sunrise service. It's very, it's very early. It's still dark. So when Mary Magdalene is coming out, so this is kind of the very first sunrise service in a sense. And she is going out to the tomb. Uh, Just a a little bit of trivia. Uh, Supposedly in 1732, the Moravians had the very first sunrise service. Uh, I think we could trace the roots though to Easter Vigil, but I'd say here it is. This is the first sunrise service in a sense. And Mary doesn't even realize that she's going for a sunrise service, because what is she going to do? Something that is futile. And and here it is. She's going to anoint this dead body with spices, and time is not on her side. The body's decaying. It's late spring. It's hot. And yeah, she might preserve it for a little bit, but she can't really stop the march of death. It is a futile exercise in many ways, what she is going to do. Uh, But she didn't need to do it no decay would touch this body, as Psalm 16 reminded us. But in Mary's mind, it seems like everything is futile, even her trying to anoint the body. And then she comes, and boy, you can just see her kind of spinning to try to make sense of all of this. She sees the stone has been removed. She runs to tell the disciples We have this amazing uh, track meet here between Peter and John, and John beats him to the tomb, probably because John is younger. I'm getting older. I know how hard it is to sprint in uh, church league softball, so I get it. Probably John beats Peter to the tomb. But everything seems futile. They're just trying to make sense of this whole thing. Of course, as the text goes on, Jesus is going to take away that futility and strengthen their faith with some of the things that he shows us. But those are maybe just a few thoughts to get us going. And uh, I I turn it back over to you guys.
0: All right, Uh, yeah, I think this, just the the narrative that John lays out here is fascinating. Um, The the details he includes uh, that make it so vivid in our minds, we can picture ourselves there. Uh, But Ben, let me turn it over to you then for further reflections on John 21 to 18.
2: Yeah, you talk about those details um... And they're just, they're they're what brings the ring of truth to it. You said, John, true story. And all these details, the whole telling of the story, the kind of things you would say if it really happened. There's no sugarcoating. There's no um, building anyone up. They all kind of come out looking like screw ups. You know, they, they don't, no one understands, you know, Mary, that, what, is, what is the theme of, of this text in some ways? They've taken them and we don't know where. I mean, that's just driving her so much. But detail after detail testifies to a resurrection and, and not allegory. I mean, uh, we got running, going back and forth, cloths, folded cloths, unfolded cloths, details about where they were, angels here, angels there. Um, and you could get in the weeds of allegory if you want to, but no, it's just here's this thing and they're telling you because it's the most important day in the history of the world and of course they remembered every little detail of it and they're giving us these glorious details because the veil was lifted from their face and and they're just they're trying to remember absolutely everything um it's almost you could imagine I bet you there were some times when it was like one of those old married couples and, and Peter and John maybe were telling the story and and Peter says yeah I got there first no no John I no I actually I got there first oh it doesn't matter no it does matter Peter that's why I'm writing it down in the book you know, all these important things they wanted to talk about. And that, that's a, a cool part of this text and all the resurrection texts that, that we can just lay out the historical reality of a real resurrection, not once upon a time in fantasy land, but real people really did a thing, which is why for us it's not a waste of time.
0: Right. Yeah, not futile, right? Um uh what do you now this is question about this text I want to ask, but just generally about Easter Sunday and preaching on Easter Sunday. Just wanted to ask about law and gospel, which we kind of talk about every episode. But um, uh, my inclination on Easter Sunday was a whole lot of gospel, um, uh, because we had kind of been through um, Holy Week, uh, Good Friday, and um, it kind of seen the the stark effects of sin there, and I always felt sort of Easter Sunday was a counterpoint to that, um, and just the the note of victory that is running throughout all the readings and and everything else on Easter morning. Um, but let me get your guys' perspective on this um, law of gospel from this text, or if you want to comment just on how you approach this, uh, looking at the resurrection of our Lord generally, uh, law and gospel, John. Some thoughts?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think you're right there. Good Friday, we do Tenebrae, and so Easter obvi- is the obvious foil to that. Where it, you, they've it, it's been so much law. This is just gospel, gospel, gospel. But certainly there are a couple of law thoughts that pop out. Uh, we, I, I, maybe I alluded to it already. Mary is going to do something futile that she didn't even need to do. Uh, how many times in my life don't I forget the promises that Jesus already made? And I try to fix it with my own futile attempts to solve things when I I just really don't. The other one too, where it's almost the criterion of embarrassment. Sometimes it's called that give legitimacy to the gospel that John is writing these words by inspiration of the Holy spirit, but he admits in, uh, in verse nine, right? That they, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And you, you think, boy, he had a, kind of a three-year big class almost with Jesus and still didn't get it and, and how slow I can be as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe at Rhino, we're talking to pastors, even though we're all immersed in the word of God, to, to get it and to believe it and to make it my own. Lord, forgive me for being slow of faith and then futilely following you at times. Just a couple of thoughts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ben, uh, your thoughts on kind of uh, law, gospel, the balance here,
2: John and I must have been doing the same text study at the same time. I mean, um yeah, just this amazing thing here people and and now here's how you apply Easter is like the story everybody knows, right? Because it's the it's one of the two Sundays where everybody goes to church. So, yeah, we we know this story but but then you do you really? Because the people who knew Jesus face to face didn't get it and they proved it over and over again, you know, like you said John that that John admits I didn't get this was necessary and and Peter's kind of scratching his head, but it's Mary. Her grief has blinded her to Jesus. I mean, he's literally standing in front of her face, talking to her, and she can't see that it's him. Um, it, it's a lot like another resurrection. With, you know, Martha did a similar thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. But at least Martha said, but I know you could do anything. Mary's just like, could you just give me the body? I, I just want to get this over with. I want to go home and and cry and and just be done with this. And you're you're making a bad day even worse. And and it's because we've always drawn a line where the bridge is too far with God. And death is that bridge. It's just, you know, it's proved by our medicine. We'll put off death. We'll do anything. We'll we'll talk about cryogenics. We'll talk about transhumanism. We'll take any pill to just not die. But now the Lord shows us that. How foolish that is. And, and so what the truth is, is we hear the Easter story, but we're terrible at applying the reality of it and the rest of God's words to ourselves. We just, we can't do it. We're just blind to it. And we'll say, Jesus, if you would just speak more plainly, I could do this. To which we could say, I think it's not more plain than I'm going to rise from the dead.
0: Right. hmm
1: and if, if if I won't believe those written promises of God, I can get try to look for every visible el- evidence and it still doesn't work. I, I liked what you said there, Ben, that Jesus was standing right in front of her. And then remember who she met right before that? Two angels, right? The, the, there's angels here. You said all these things, you know, but she's still so blinded because she's not holding on to the true promises of God. Yeah, good thoughts.
0: Oh, yeah, great points. And uh, yeah, I think I brought out similar things as I've uh, looked at this text or preached it on uh, Easter morning. Um, now, we could say the gospel is, well, Christ is risen, right? He died and he is risen. But what particular uh, aspects of the uh, gospel uh, do you note here in this text? Um, John, do you want to begin with that? Too?
1: Sure. I I think verse 16 just stands out so vividly and just such a beautiful portrayal here of Jesus speaking to Mary. John really takes some time to hone in on this. They're having this discussion. She's not getting it. But Finally, Jesus says to her, what? Mary. He just says her name, calls her name, and that's what changes it. So, boy, we we could have some fun time, I think, digging into that, that the risen Savior knows your name, calls your name personally through word and sacrament, but he he reaches out to her. There's, There's a beautiful hymn song I've heard sung by the MLC choir, the Luther prep choir too, and others, I will rise. But in that song, I will rise when he calls my name. And one day he will call my name personally, and I will rise from the dead. But to think of that, Jesus calls Mary personally, Jesus calls me personally by name. He is my Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the beautiful personal address to Mary there, Ben. Any additional uh, particular gospel uh, emphases you bring out?
2: Well, I'll just say I I started in that same place every time I do this text, and I've, I've preached John twenty multiple times for Easter dawn, and 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 to me, like my dream of heaven is historical reenactments. You know that we're going to get to see these things, and since we'll have the actual actors, maybe they'll. You know, because I want to hear the tone of voice in which Jesus said, Mary. Mm -hmm. Because I don't imagine it being sarcastic. I don't imagine it being disgust. I I imagine the biggest smile, arms wide open. This is Jesus living out the Luke 15 father. He's just waiting to blow up Mary's brain (laughs) with this amazing piece of good news. And he knows one word will do it because faith comes from hearing. And then he does it again. The other one I... I jumped on was when he then when when she's finally figured it out and he says go to my brothers
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: that he would say that word about these schmucks who, who came to the tomb and don't get it who who are hiding who are denying who are lying i mean that and he says go to my brothers and talk to my brothers tell them that say what i said use my words brothers again not sarcasm not disgust but just the word and and so you can emphasize the power of the preached word here. This is why we keep preaching the word, because Mary has heard that. And she she needed to hear multiple things from Jesus, just like I sometimes need to teach the word more than once. The other thing I, I came up with now uh, in the old hymnal, I can't believe we're calling it that already. Christian worship 93, um, the Corinthians verses were 51 to 57, where uh, Paul says we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. And, and I took a moment, uh, I, I did preach this text for Easter Dawn this year too, um, just to say, you know what, seeing Jesus here has given us a glimpse of what Paul was talking about, that change. Jesus fell asleep in his God, and he woke up, and he was different. He was new, mortal, was now clothed, clothed with immortality, perishable, imperishable, and we get a sense of what the resurrected body really is. So now we get to teach our people about the resurrection for ourselves. It's a flesh and blood thing. There's communication, there's recognition, there's love, there's feeling, there's emotion. That's what we have in store for us. That's why Paul is so mm. fired up to say, it's gotta be true or else we've lost all of this amazingness that Jesus showed us. He was changed for us.
0: Right. great. great. Yeah, uh, further thoughts on on John 20, anything else you wanted to add for preachers there? Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, the comfort is kind of exploding off the page, and I, I've keyed off those words to Jesus saying, Mary, or my brothers, um, just the, the love and tenderness and forgiveness uh, that are in those words. Well, let's then maybe spend a little bit of time also on the Easter Day readings, Um so we are going to look at that and let's kind of just do what we just did with Easter Dawn. Um, John, could we go back to you to talk a little bit about uh, the Resurrection Reality Series and the unique theme for this service uh, for Easter Day? Uh, how does the the theme of this service, All Will Be Made Alive, kind of relate to the overall theme? And Or if you want to point out a little uniqueness between uh, uh, how this is unique as opposed to the Easter dawn readings. Um, Your thoughts on that briefly?
1: Sure. I mean, obviously, they they connect very closely, and you could interchange readings almost for for either of these. But Easter dawn a little bit, making the point this isn't futile, the one that you believe in Jesus, because of the resurrection, it proves. The resurrection is proof positive that, that he is Lord, that you are forgiven that as you follow him. It's not in vain, but then on Easter Day, perhaps just a little bit more honing in on that fact that, so what, it means that you will be made alive again. You will physically rise from the dead. This is not just some kind of spiritual enlightenment of awakening that you have by following this cool guru rabbi named Jesus. No, your flesh and blood will rise from the dead and that is a very important point that's going to be brought out in all of our readings, especially in the, the first Corinthians text as well. And I know Ben might talk about that in a moment, but uh, we hone in a little bit more on the truth maybe on Easter day that we have an answer now to decay and death, we have real resurrection waiting for us.
0: Okay, yeah, thank you. And we're going to be looking at Job 19 as our sermon text for this service. So, uh, Ben, could we turn to you for a little summary of the other two readings
2: yeah for the gospel we get mark's account of the resurrection which um, you can disagree with me or or uh, correct me but seems to be the strangest of the four accounts right um yeah, yeah. it ends in such a puzzling way of course mm-hmm. there's all kinds of textual questions around it but it fits so well because job's life is also one of the strangest things we ever have to encounter and and that he can explode out with these incredible words that become our favorite, or for some people, their favorite Easter hymn. And when you pay attention to what he says on both sides of it, you're like, where did that come from? I don't understand any of this gospel that you preach, Job, because you just said some pretty not nice things. And now we've got these women who, like Job's wife, are saying, well, we're going to find a corpse, because that's what happens when you bury someone. There's a body, we're going to find it. And then a whole bunch of strange things happen, just like it happened to Job. They get there, and the stone's gone. And They see a young man dressed in white, an angel. They don't see Jesus. They're being told he's risen. Now they're being told dead men are walking around. You gotta go find them. No wonder they're bewildered and terrified and scared, just as Job must have been feeling, you know, when he gets these messages about his family and when he sees his body break out in sores and he starts hearing the comfort and putting air quotes up for those of you, you know, aren't on Zoom with us, the air quotes of the comfort of his friends and and, of course, they're terrified. They've just heard the weirdest possible things. Um, and, and what are we supposed to do with that? So they're a lot like Job. And then we get Paul, more of Paul in First Corinthians 15. And I feel pretty confident for all the textual toughness in Job 19 that Job was speaking confident words. He wasn't kind of fingers crossed, spitting in the wind, wishing and hoping, but he was speaking confident words. But Paul is now confirming Job. Hey Joe, of all those things that you were kind of hoping for in faith, I can confirm by sight that the view of Scripture is life after this life, more life than you could ever imagine. and it has to be that way. I was minded of a, a controversial tweet that uh, a United States Senator put out a couple Easters ago. Um, uh, he tweeted out that, that Easter transcends the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you could just if we could all be commit to being good to each other, we can save ourselves. Now, that senator also happened to be a Christian preacher. Now, to his credit, he deleted the tweet after throwing his staff under the bus and saying they were the ones who tweeted out without his permission. But that 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 could even come out of his office tells you how doubtful we are about bodily resurrection. But that he at least recognized, I can't put that out there, tells you, yeah, this is so important, this resurrection. So now we get Paul saying again, Christ has been raised. Can't hear that too much. But the word that carries the water in Corinthians today is first fruits. That the resurrection of Christ is our hope. It was Job's hope. And it shows us how orderly and neat and symmetrical God is. One man brought sin. One man brings life. Jesus will die and rise. And then we too will rise. And then Paul explodes to the big picture. And then the end comes. And finally, we get to see that everything Job Was talking about comes to Christ will come and everything will be put under his control and authority. And we will not be disappointed because Christ will win. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He's done it. He's doing it. And we too will see our redeemer. So we're tying all together with this incredible comfort, even when we're in the middle of chaos and destruction.
0: With that, let's go to Job 19. Uh, John, some thoughts on Job 19 and uh, uh, preaching this text for Easter Day.
1: Yes. So on Easter Dawn, as we looked at our text from John 20, I think we, we had all kinds of beautiful pictures in our mind. I mean, you see the sun rising, right? You see Jesus speaking to Mary and Mary grasping on to her. I mean, it's all kinds of things that could make for wonderful paintings that you'd hang in your preschool if you have one at your church or in your home. It's just beautiful picture of Easter. This text from Job is not that, as far as the outward context. is just the exact opposite. And so what a remarkable thing that on Easter Day is everyone sits there in their Easter finery and the Easter lilies are beautiful and you can maybe... Smell the Easter breakfast wafting down the hallway. Just everyone looks good. It feels good. Now we're going to look at a picture of someone who looked about as bad and felt as bad as anyone who ever walked the earth. This is not Easter feel-good, although we will, Lord willing, feel good, inspired by this text in the end. It's just kind of an interesting way to get into this Job text. You know, we rightfully speak about how the resurrection talks to those who fear death. But what about those who fear life? In other words, sometimes you might be going through something so bad, such suffering that Mm -hmm. death almost seems welcome. And maybe you've heard even older saints of God who have said, oh, why am I still alive, Pastor? I just wish Jesus would come back. I, I just want to die. And I certainly think that was the case with Job. Just the texts leading into this famous section, he says, my kinsmen have gone away, my friends have forgotten me, my guests and my maidservants count me a stranger, they look upon me as an alien. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. How about this? My breath is offensive to my wife, I am loathsome to my own brothers, even the little boys scorn me when I appear, they ridicule me. And he goes on to say that all his intimate friends have left him, he's nothing but skin and bones, and he's dying. Wow, what a context have this and then that leads right in of course to these words that are so powerful that have been treasured by so many who have suffered throughout the years that his words were recorded on a scroll or in a book and inscribed forever and of course by the holy spirit those words have been inscribed in a sense in in holy scripture and now we can reflect upon them and get comfort as well
0: right right uh yeah, thank you for pointing out the preceding context too. I think that is so stark, uh, that just the drastic difference there. Um, and that I mean, that's what Easter is about, right? I mean, this uh death right up against uh the the victory of life. Um Ben, I'll I'll turn things over to you. Thoughts on Job nineteen.
2: Man, and you didn't even get to the the home run that that job hit, John, where he said, God himself has wronged me. Right, you're right. He's he's. Everyone has abandoned him, but but you know he's. I cried out. I've been wronged, and there was no answer. God is my enemy, and that made me think. I I keep having every time I come across this thought, I have to look up the quote, and I I don't think I have the reference. I I feel like it's somewhere in the bondage of the will, where Luther kind of talks about you know when God is damning me, that's when I have to trust that He's saving me the most, Mm -hmm. and and that's 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 a terrible paraphrase. at the very least, I must have hope that he's saving me. Because Luther will talk about the hidden God, right? And and Job would say, God is hidden from me right now. I I cannot see a happy ending. I love what you said, John, about, you know, it's not just the fear of death, but the fear of life. Job cannot see how this is possibly turning out well for him at all. Nothing is, oh, you listed all, everyone's against me. My wife tells me to die. No, great. Uh, My friends have zero good words for me. And there's a fourth friend coming who's about to pile on even more, in a few chapters and he concludes even God is now my enemy and yet when he explodes with these words he's saying but somehow there's got to be something else going on here you know Job belongs in Hebrew 11 and we have the verse about Abraham who said I'll kill my son because God must raise him from the dead Job's kind of doing the same thing there's, there's got to be something else going on I, I don't know what it is um but it's got to be going on and that that speaks to um, how eternal the gospel is. you know that image in Revelation 14 of the eternal gospel flying above everything. Nothing can touch it, nothing can destroy it. It's hope beyond hope. it's life beyond life and it's there even when I can't grasp it and and God be praised. job, job is still holding on to it by those words that he wanted inscribed for his friends for his friends to hear. So uh, to, to me that's where you know i went with people because we're trying to always solve the problem i want to balance out the scales this is happening because of that and sometimes the answer is you can't you can't balance those things out nor should you try because in the end you can't because it's christ over in the other balance scales and that is way heavier than anything i can put on my side
0: yeah yeah so when you talk about law and gospel in this text are you thinking mostly uh when it comes to the law maybe more the effects of sin uh that are portrayed here um just uh job is living in this um this world uh where everything is going against him I mean I mean we know the backstory of this this is a cross laid on him um that this is God is working here in spite of everything job sees or does not see or perceive but um, is that something you point out in preaching on this, kind of the effects of sin that that we feel that that wound us so deeply, uh, that kind of bewilder us? Uh, John? Yeah, I,
1: I think that's probably what I was thinking, where you'd even telling that backstory, you could just ask the question to the congregation, does that sound like you? Uh, have you had those others betray you? Have you felt alone? Have you felt the sting of sin in your own life as you see yourself waste away, have you also questioned, where is God? Have you seen what you've done and felt like sitting in a pile of ashes uh, and weeping because of your own sin? You could just talk through all those things. Now, maybe none of us have had all of it at the same time quite like Job, but I think everything that Job went to to some degree, we can all relate with, and certainly that tells us there is something profoundly wrong with this world and profoundly wrong with me, and I need an answer that's going to come outside of me. I'm going to need someone to come and buy me back from all this uh, effect of sin, and uh, the eternal effect of sin, of course, too. And so that could maybe lead into the gospel a little bit, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ben, your thoughts on that? I and mean, you also mentioned for yeah. verse 6, and God has wronged me, and where Job gets to in this place of suffering. But yeah, your thoughts on law in, in this text?
2: And I think what we can begin to do is be sympathetic to people who are suicidal. I mean, when you've lost everything, even faith, no wonder people can't hang on anymore. And, and the, the warning you want to give is when you've banked everything on all those people that Job talked about, if everything is about the material stuff, the body, the, the money, the health, and when those are lost as they inevitably will be no wonder we metaphorically and sometimes literally kill ourselves. And so there's, there's a warning about that. You know, we have to hold on to the Lord as as Job managed to do somehow through this. And and that reminds you of Paul's word. I want somehow, somehow to attain to the resurrection. I think Job helps you understand why Paul threw that somehow into Philippians. I, I, I and there's no way I can, but, but also the, if everything's banked on the wealth of Job chapter one, because that was, that was the devil's bet, right? Job only loves you, God. He's only so faithful because of the stuff he has. And that, I mean, that's thats an American problem. You know, the prosperity gospel, I, I, God is only blessing me when he's blessing me. And, and Job is teetering, but he hasn't given up that. I do have God. I do have that. And, and we can point our people in that direction too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've kind of... um sometimes keyed off of uh, verses 25 and 26 in the end he will stand on the earth after my skin has been destroyed you know kind of this almost like a post-apocalyptic scene sure. where just everything is wiped out, everything's uh, fallen apart uh, you know and you know that as a picture of job's life that is a picture of of human lives right now um, that we can relate to but yeah the gospel is amid all that there's still a living Redeemer right? And and he's for me. Um, so yeah, uh, I should turn it over to you guys. Uh, gospel thoughts or how do you express it from this text or what points do you emphasize? John?
1: Yeah, well, then I think those, those verses 25, 26 just start to explode with gospel because in the midst of this where it seems like he's lost everything, in a way he's lost nothing. That is what's most important. And it, the rescue here doesn't come from himself or from some self-help book or pull it himself up. He can't move how great for people who are stuck, trapped, helpless, that we have someone to save us. And you could hone in on obviously all kinds of things. For I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, my goodness, is that full of gospel? But that word Redeemer, unpack that, go ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, a family member charged with restoring the rights of a person and avenging what had been done to him. Now, Jesus is my family member, of course, my Redeemer, my brother, and he restores a right relationship between me and God and avenges that enemy of death. I mean, that's, there's what my redeemer lives. And he's my, that that pronoun there, he's my redeemer. Job could say that, and I could say that too. And at the the last, he will stand upon the, the earth. Uh, it could also be translated dust, which could indicate the dust of the grave or the dust of my dead body. But the picture there that he's going to stand upon my grave and defeat that final, most sinister thing that looks like it wipes me out, even that he's going to take care of. Wow, he's exactly the redeemer that I need. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ben, your thoughts on particular gospel emphases? It's Man, the
2: preached word again, right? We're getting Job just giving us these gems. um, For all the the guys who want to do their Old Testament work in Greek, Uh, the Vulgate translated our famous verse, I know my redeemer lives. I know the one setting me free is everlasting. I'm sorry, not the Vulgate. That's the Septuagint. Septuagint. My bad. Um, yeah, I knew that. Know what I mean, not what I say, right? Um, <laughs> but that what a what a I, that phrase just stuck with me. The one setting me free is everlasting, and I know it. There's Job again saying, "Hope beyond hope. I have no hope, but here's my hope." Um, he's like the women at the tomb. They're terrified. They're scared. They've seen strange things. They they go home bewildered, not willing to tell anyone anything. That's Job. He's been abandoned by God. He said the words. Everyone's abandoned me, including God. And yet, what does he say? Redeemer. He's holding on to that thought, just like Christ on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's he's Jonah, too. I mean, I'll bang the gong of you know the old hymnal users. Jonah was the old testament lesson for Easter festival, mm-hmm. his prayer. And here you got Jonah drowning, literally. And then a big fish comes to swallow him. Well, that's better, right? But Jonah's prayer is, "I've just been saved by God," and somehow that's Job too. God has killed me, and yet God's going to make me alive. It, there was another tough. Uh, what do you say? My soul, heart yearns within me. I think one way, that, in my poor translation, I had my guts are weary inside of me. That sounded like the Psalms, doesn't it? Uh, my soul faints with longing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm di- I'm dying here, God. But in your word I put my hope. We're gonna, you know, these are the words that we've been given. You know, it's it's that Luther anecdote. Um, do you feel forgiven? No, but I know I am because God says so. And that's where, I mean, that's what Job's got. I don't feel any of these things are true, but I know they are because God says so. That's what we're pointing our people to. He is risen. Yeah, he is, and that's what I'm holding on to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this Job text, I mean, to me, it it just is a beautiful opportunity to acknowledge the the devastation that we experience, that people feel that, you know, we might be like Job, kind of sitting right in the middle of um, at any given time. But here's the resurrection gospel uh, that comes to meet us right in those those worst of all places um, and gives us real life, real hope. so yeah, as you said, Ben, something else is going on here amid all this God is God is up to something and it's up to uh he well, he's up to defeating death, right and bringing life in the midst of everything um and bringing it to us of uh, closing thoughts or any other suggestions for uh preachers that you wanted to add or throw in Nate?
1: yeah um. Not that you're going to preach on a hymn, you're going to preach on the text, but obviously Job 19, we get a lot of uh, famous music that also is inspired by this. Good chance you might be singing, I Know That My Redeemer Lives uh, on Easter Day. It is a fascinating story, I'm not going to go into it all now, but about uh, Samuel Medley. He injured his leg in the Navy in the, the seven years of French and Indian War. He was British, but he had walked away from the faith that he was brought up in, and he was facing death. And the long and short of it is his grandfather never gave up on him and sent him sermons. And as he was recovering, his grandfather even read him sermons. And the Holy Spirit went to work and he came to faith again. And his he became a pastor and then he wrote, the I know that my Redeemer lives. So it's kind of a neat story if you need a hymn reference on that. Um, as far as themes or sermons uh, on these things, I mean, Job is pretty much there. I know that my Redeemer lives, pretty obvious. We loop all the way back to our our previous text from John 20, just uh, an idea, why why do you cry? You could use that question of of Jesus, why are you crying um, for sin, uh, for death, for joy, something like that, or who are you looking for is another one I think I've heard as a theme from the John 20 text. And again, quoting the words of Jesus, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? And getting into how he's a savior who is not futile. But just a few loose thoughts there.
2: Great, great. Ben? I love what you said before, John, about God working behind the scenes, because that's such a theme of scripture. And and he, of course, he was doing something. He was defeating. The, that is just so awesome. Um, lately, I've been thinking and using the illustration of, you know, whether it's a streaming series with episodes or a a film where it's like, just just hold on. There's things happening here you don't understand yet. There's something going on, all will be revealed. Um, The other thing I had, I want to be less sanctified than the other John. He had a great hymn illustration. Uh, Here's my great pop culture reference for you. As as I was working on the text, I thought of an Academy Award winning film from the late nineties, Shakespeare in Love. There's a great scene in which uh, a producer, is angry. He's lent money to put on plays, and the plays aren't happening because the theaters have been closed because of the plague. So he's now come to the guy he lent the money to, and he's going to maybe torture him a little bit for the money. And uh, Jeffrey Rush plays the guy who's in a little bit of trouble, and, and he, he's trying to get out of trouble. He says, allow me to explain about the theater business. Is always insurmountable obstacles on the way to disaster. And the the angry money-lending producer says, so what do we do? And Jeffrey Rush replies, nothing. Strangely enough, it all turns out well. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. And then a second later, a bell rings and a man cries out, the theaters are real. And it, it's just that thought of we're so busy panicking and and you know falling apart. And I just, he's, he's working. And I don't know how. I will never understand how. Maybe in, maybe in heaven. <laughs> I will get a glimpse of what God was doing and how it worked out, but it does work out. And that word mystery is a biblical word. Paul says it. These things are a mystery. They need to be revealed to you. And here we have God doing that.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and for Job, much of this was mystery too. Um, I mean, the profound words about the physical resurrection and things like that, but there was so much he did not see uh, that was yet to be revealed, but he knew by faith that in the end, uh, my Redeemer lives. All right, well, let's stop there. Preachers, hopefully this has given you something uh, to think about as you prepare your messages for the resurrection of our Lord and that celebration. God bless you as you proclaim that Christ is risen.